Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read from page 63 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father, but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Parentheses number 2. The effects of this conviction, with the respect unto our justification, real or pretended, may also be briefly considered. And whereas this conviction is a mere work of the law, it is not, with respect unto these effects, to be considered alone, but in conjunction with, and under the conduct of, that temporary faith of the gospel before described. And these two, temporary faith and legal conviction, are the principles of all works or duties in religion antecedent unto justification, and which, therefore, we must deny to have in them any causality thereof. But it is granted that many acts and duties, both internal and external, will ensue upon real convictions. Those that are internal may be reduced unto three heads. Brackets number one, displicency and sorrow that we have sinned. It is impossible that anyone should be really convinced of sin in the way before declared, but that a dislike of sin and of himself that he has sinned, shame of it and sorrow for it will ensue thereon. And it is sufficient evidence that he is not really convinced of sin, whatever he profess, or whatever confession he make, whose mind is not so effected. Jeremiah chapter 36 verse 24. Brackets number 2. Fear of punishment due to sin. For conviction respects not only the instructive and perceptive part of the law, whereby the being and nature of sin are discovered, but the sentence and curse of it also, whereby it is judged and condemned. Genesis chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Wherefore, where fear of the punishment threatened does not ensue, no person is really convinced of sin. 
nor has the law had its proper work towards him, as it is previous unto the administration of the gospel. And whereas by faith we fly from the wrath to come, where there is not a sense and apprehension of that wrath, as do unto us, there is no ground or reason for our believing. Brackets number three, a desire of deliverance from that state wherein a convinced sinner finds himself upon his conviction is unavoidable unto him. And it is naturally the first thing that conviction works in the minds of men, and that in various degrees of care, fear, solicitude, and restlessness, which from experience and the conduct of Scripture light have been explained by many unto the great benefit of the church, and sufficiently derided by others. Secondly, these internal acts of the mind will also produce sundry external duties, which may be referred unto two heads. Brackets number one, abstinence from known sin unto the utmost of men's power. For they who begin to find that it is an evil thing and a bitter that they have sinned against God cannot but endeavor a future abstinence from it. And as this has respect unto all the formal internal acts as causes of it, so it is a peculiar exigency of the last of them or a desire of deliverance from the state wherein such persons are. For this they suppose to be the best expedient for it, or at least that without which it will not be. And herein usually do their spirits act by promises and vows, with renewed sorrow, on surprisals unto sin, which will befall them in that condition. Brackets number two. The duties of religious worship, in prayer and hearing of the word, with diligence and use of the ordinances of the church, will ensue hereon. For without these, they know that no deliverance is to be obtained. Reformation of life and conversation in various degrees does partially consist in these things and partially follow upon them. And these things are always so, where the convictions of men are real and abiding. But yet, it must be said that they are neither severally nor jointly, though in the highest degree either necessary dispositions preparations, previous congruities in a way of merit or conditions of our justification. For, brackets number one, they are not conditions of justification. For where one thing is the condition of another, that other thing must follow the fulfilling of that condition. Otherwise, the condition of it, it is not. But they may be all found where justification does not ensue, Wherefore, there is no covenant, promise, or constitution of God, making them to be such conditions of justification, though, in their own nature, they may be subservient unto what is required of us with respect thereunto. But a certain infallible connection with it, by virtue of any promise or covenant of God, as it is with faith, they have not. And other condition but what is constituted and made to be so by divine compact or promise, it is not to be allowed. For otherwise conditions might be endlessly multiplied and all things, natural as well as moral, made to be so. So the meat we eat may be a condition of justification. Faith and justification are inseparable, but so are not justification and the things we now insist upon. 
as experience does intent. Brackets number two. Justification may be where the outward acts and duties mentioned proceeding from the convictions under the conduct of temporary faith are not. For Adam was justified without them, so also were the converts in Acts chapter 2. For what is reported concerning them is all of it essentially included in conviction. Verse 37. And so likewise was it with the jailer. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. And as unto many of them it is so with most that do believe. Therefore, they are not conditions for a condition suspends the event of a condition. Brackets number three. They are not formal dispositions unto justification, because it consists not in the introduction of any new form or an errant quality of the soul, as has been in part already declared, and yet shall be afterwards be more fully invinced. Nor, brackets number four, are they moral preparations for it, for being antecedent unto faith evangelical. No man can have any design in them, but only to seek for righteousness by the works of the law, which is no preparation unto justification. All discoveries of the righteousness of God, with the soul's adherence unto it, belong to faith alone. There is, indeed, a repentance which accompanies faith, and is included in the nature of it, at least radically. This is required unto our justification. But that legal repentance which precedes gospel faith and is without it is neither a disposition, preparation, nor condition of our justification. In brief, the order of these things may be observed in the dealing of God with Adam as was before intimated. And there are three degrees in it. Brackets number one, the opening of the eyes of the sinner to see the filth and guilt of sin in the sentence and curse of the law applied unto his conscience. Romans chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. This effects in the mind of the sinner the things before mentioned and puts him upon all the duties that spring from them. For persons on their first convictions ordinarily judge no more but that their state being evil and dangerous it is their duty to better it, and that they can or shall do so accordingly if they apply themselves thereunto. But all these things, as to a protection or deliverance from the sentence of the law, are no better than fig leaves and hiding. Brackets number two. Ordinarily, God by his providence, or in the dispensation of the word, gives life and power unto the work of the law in a peculiar manner, in answer unto the charge which he gave unto Adam after his attempt to hide himself. Hereby the mouth of the sinner is stopped, and he becomes as thoroughly sensible of his guilt before God, so satisfied that there is no relief or deliverance to be expected from any of those ways of sorrow or duty that he has put himself upon. Brackets number three. In this condition, it is a mere act of sovereign grace, without any respect unto these things foregoing, to call the sinner unto believing, or faith in the promise unto the justification of life. This is God's order. Yet so as that what precedes his call unto faith 
has no causality thereof. Number three, the next thing to be inquired into is the proper object of justifying faith, or a true faith, in its office, work, and duty with respect unto our justification. And herein we must first consider what we cannot so well close with all. For besides other differences that seem to be about it, which indeed are but different explanations of the same thing for the substance, there are two opinions which are looked on as extremes, the one in an excess and the other in defect. The first is that of the Roman Church and those who comply with them therein. And this is that the object of justifying faith, as such, is all divine verity, all divine revelation, whether written in the scripture or delivered by tradition, represented unto us by the authority of the church. In the latter part of this description, we are not at present concerned that the whole scripture and all the parts of it and all the truths of what sort soever they be that are contained in it are equally the objects of faith in the discharge of its office in our justification is that which they maintain. Hence, as to the nature of it, they cannot allow it to consist in anything but an assent of the mind. For supposing the whole scripture and all containing in it laws, precepts, promises, threatening, stories, prophecies, and the like, to be the object of it, and these not as containing in them things good or evil unto us, but under this formal consideration as divinely revealed, they cannot assign or allow any other act of the mind to be required hereunto, but assent only. And so confident are they herein, namely that faith is no more than an assent unto divine revelation, as that Bellarmine in opposition unto Calvin, who placed knowledge in the description of justifying faith, affirms that it is better defined by ignorance than by knowledge. This description of justifying faith and its object has been so discussed and on such evident grounds of scripture and reason rejected by Protestant writers of all sorts as that it is needless to insist much upon it again. Some things I shall observe in relation unto it, whereby we may discover what is of truth in what they assert, and wherein it falls short thereof. Neither shall I respect only them of the Roman Church who require no more to faith or believing, but only a bare assent of the mind unto divine revelations, but them also who place it wholly in such a firm assent as produces obedience unto all divine commands. For as it does both these, as both these are included in it, so unto the especial nature of it more is required. It is, as justifying, neither a mere assent nor any such firm degree of it as should produce such effects. Parentheses number one. All faith whatever is an act of that power of our souls in general whereby we are able firmly to assent unto the truth upon testimony and things not evident unto us by sense or reason. It is the evidence of things not seen. And all divine faith is in general an assent unto the truth that is proposed unto us upon divine testimony. And hereby 
as it is commonly agreed, it is distinguished from opinion and moral certainty on the one hand, and science or demonstration on the other. Parenthesis number two. Wherefore, in justifying faith, there is an assent unto all divine revelation upon the testimony of God, the Revealer, by no other act of our mind, wherein this is not included or supposed, can we be justified. Not because it is not justifying, but because it is not faith. This assent, I say, is included in justifying faith. And therefore we find it often spoken of in the scripture. The instances whereof are gathered up by Bellamine and others. With respect unto other things, and not restrained unto the especial promise of grace in Christ, which is that which they oppose. But besides that, in most places of that kind, the proper object of faith as justifying is included and referred ultimately unto, though diversely expressed by some of its causes or concomitant adjuncts, it is granted that we believe all divine truth with that very faith whereby we are justified, so as that other things may well be ascribed unto it. Parenthesis number three. On these concessions, we yet say two things. Brackets number one, that the whole nature of justifying faith does not consist merely in an assent of the mind, be it never so firm and steadfast, nor whatever effects of obedience it may produce. Brackets number two, that in its duty and office in justification, whence it has the especial denomination, which alone we are in the explanation of, it does not equally respect all divine revelation as such, but as a peculiar object proposed unto it in the scripture. And whereas both these will be immediately evinced in our description of the proper object and nature of faith, I shall at present oppose some few things unto this description of them, sufficient to manifest how alien it is from the truth. First, this assent is an act of the understanding only, an act of the mind with respect unto truth evidenced unto it, be it of what nature it will. So we believe the worst of things and the most grievous unto us, as well as the best and the most useful. But believing is an act of the heart, which in the scriptures comprises all the faculties of the soul as one entire principle of moral and spiritual duties. With the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness. Romans chapter 10 verse 10. And it is frequently described by an act of the will, though it be not so alone. But without an act of the will, no man can believe as he ought. See John chapter 5 verse 40, chapter 1 verse 12, chapter 6 verse 35. We come to Christ in an act of the will. And let whosoever will come. And to be willing is taken for to believe. Psalms 110, verse 3. And unbelief is disobedience. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. Secondly, all divine truth is equally the object of this ascent. It respects not the especial nature nor use of any one truth, be it of what kind it will, more than another. Nor can it do so, since it regards only divine revelation. Hence that Judas was the traitor, must have as great an influence into our justification 
as that Christ died for our sins. But how contrary this is unto the scripture, the analogy of faith, and the experience of all that believe, needs neither declaration nor confirmation. Thirdly, this assent unto all divine revelation may be true and sincere, where there has been no previous work of the law, nor any conviction of sin. No such thing is required thereunto, nor are they found in many who yet do so assent unto the truth. But, as we have shown, this is necessary unto evangelical justifying faith. And to suppose the contrary is to overthrow the order and use of the law and gospel, with their mutual relation unto one another, and subserviency unto the design of God and the salvation of sinners. Fourthly, it is not a way of seeking relief unto a convinced sinner whose mouth is stopped, in that he has become guilty before God. Such alone are capable subjects of justification, and do or can seek after it in a due manner. A mere assent unto divine revelation is not peculiarly suited to give such persons relief, for it is that which brings them into that condition from whence they are to be relieved. For the knowledge of sin is by the law, but faith is a peculiar acting of the soul for deliverance. Fifthly, it is no more than what the devils themselves may have, and have, as the Apostle James affirms. For that instance of their believing one God proves that they believe also whatever this one God, who is the first essential truth, does reveal to be true. And it may consist with all manner of wickedness, and without any obedience. And so make God a liar. 1 John chapter 5 verse 10 and it is no wonder if men deny us to be justified by faith who know no other faith but this. Sixthly, it no way answers the descriptions that are given of justifying faith in the scripture. Particularly, it is by faith as it is justifying that we are said to receive Christ. John chapter 1 verse 12, Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. To receive the promise. The Word, the Grace of God, the Atonement. James chapter 1, verse 21. John chapter 3, verse 33. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Chapter 11, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. To cleave unto God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 4. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. And so, in the Old Testament... It is generally expressed by trust and hope. Now, none of these things are contained in a mere assent unto the truth, but they require other actings of the soul than what are peculiar unto the understanding only. Seventhly, it answers not the experience of them that truly believe. This all our inquiries and arguments in this matter must have respect unto. For the sum of what we aim at is only to discover what they do who really believe unto justification of life. It is not what notions men may have hereof, nor how they express their conceptions, how defensible they are against objections by accuracy of expressions and subtle distinctions, but only what we ourselves do if we truly believe, that we inquire after. 
And although our differences about it do argue the great imperfection of that state wherein we are, so as that those who truly believe cannot agree what they do in their so doing, which should give us a mutual tenderness and forbearance towards each other. Yet if men would attend unto their own experience and the application of their souls unto God for the pardon of sin and righteousness to life, more than unto the notions which, on various occasions, their minds are influenced by or prepossessed withal many differences and unnecessary disputations about the nature of justifying faith would be prevented or prescinded. I deny, therefore, that this general assent unto truth, how firm soever it be or what effects in the way of duty or obedience soever it may produce, does answer the experience of any one true believer as containing the entire acting of his soul towards God for pardon of sin and justification. Eighthly, that faith alone is justifying which has justification actually accompanying of it. For thence alone it has that denomination. To suppose a man to have justifying faith and not be justified is to suppose a contradiction. Nor do we inquire after the nature of any other faith but that whereby a believer is actually justified. But it is not so with all them in whom this assent is found. Nor will those that plead for it allow that upon it alone any are immediately justified. Wherefore, it is sufficiently evident that there is somewhat more required unto justifying faith than a real assent unto all divine revelations, although we do give that assent by the faith whereby we are justified. But, on the other side, it is supposed that, by some, the object of justifying faith is so much restrained and the nature of it thereby determined unto such a peculiar acting of the mind as comprises not the whole of what is in the scripture ascribed unto it. So some have said that it is the pardon of our sins, in particular, that is the object of justifying faith. Faith, therefore, they make to be a full persuasion of the forgiveness of our sins through the mediation of Christ, or that what Christ did and suffered as our mediator, he did it for us in particular, and a particular application of a special mercy unto our own souls and consciences is hereby made the essence of faith. Or, to believe that our own sins are forgiven seems hereby to be the first and most proper act of justifying faith. Hence, it would follow that whosoever does not believe or has not a firm persuasion of the forgiveness of his own sins in particular, has no saving faith, is no true believer, which is by no means to be admitted. And if any have been or are of this opinion, I fear that they were, in the asserting of it, neglective of their own experience. Or it may be, rather, that they knew not how, in their experience, all the other acting of faith, wherein its essence does consist, were included in this persuasion, which in an especial manner they aimed at, whereof we shall speak afterwards. And there is no doubt unto me, but that this which they propose, faith is suited unto, aims at, and does ordinarily affect in true believers, 
who improve it and grow in its exercise in a due manner. Many great divines at the First Reformation did, as the Lutherans generally yet do, thus make the mercy of God in Christ and thereby the forgiveness of our own sins to be the proper object of justifying faith as such, whose essence, therefore, they placed in a fiducial trust in the grace of God by Christ declared in the promises with a certain unwavering application of them unto ourselves. And I say with some confidence that those who endeavor not to attain hereunto either understand not the nature of believing or are very neglective both of the grace of God and of their own peace. That which inclined those great and holy persons so to express themselves in this manner and to place the essence of faith in the highest acting of it wherein yet they always included and supposed its other acts was the state of the consciences of men with whom they had to do. Their contest in this article with the Roman Church was about the way and means whereby the consciences of convinced troubled sinners might come to rest and peace with God. For at that time they were no otherwise instructed, but that these things were to be obtained not only by works of righteousness, which men did themselves in obedience unto the commands of God, but also by the strict observation of many inventions of what they called the church, with an ascription of a strange efficacy to the same ends unto mystical sacrifices, sacramentals, absolutions, penances, pilgrimages, and other the like superstitions. Hereby they observed that the consciences of men were kept in perpetual disquietments, perplexities, fears, and bondage, exclusive of that rest, assurance, and peace with God through the blood of Christ, which the gospel proclaims and tenders. And when the leaders of the people in that church had observed this, that indeed the ways and means which they proposed and presented would never bring the souls of men to rest, nor give them the least assurance of the pardon of sins. They made it a part of their doctrine that the belief of the pardon of our sins and assurance of the love of God in Christ were false and pernicious. For what should they else do when they knew well enough that in their way and by their propositions they were not to be attained? Hence, the principal controversy in this matter which the Reformed divines had with those of the church of Rome was this whether there be according unto and by the gospel a state of rest and assured peace with God to be attained in this life and having all advantages imaginable for the proof hereon from the very nature use and end of the gospel from the grace love and design of God in Christ from the efficacy of his mediation in his oblation and intercession they assigned these things to be the especial object of justifying faith and that faith itself to be a fiduciary trust in the especial grace and mercy of God through the blood of Christ as proposed in the promise of the gospel that is they directed the souls of men to seek for peace with God the pardon of sin and a right 
unto the heavenly inheritance by placing their sole trust and confidence in the mercy of God by Christ alone. But yet, withal, I never read any of them, I know not what others have done, who affirmed that every true and sincere believer always had a full assurance of the especial love of God in Christ or of the pardon of his own sins though they plead that this the scripture requires of them in a way of duty and that this they ought to aim at the attainment of this reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books many free resources as well as our complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton AB Canada T6L3T5 If you do not have a web connection please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc. that SWRB makes available on the web as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message, including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 states thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee and 2nd Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 concludes finally brethren farewell be perfect be of good comfort be of one mind live in peace and the God of love and peace shall be with you <laughs>